Hey everybody, my name is Dave Jackson and this is Tales from the Backlog, a video games podcast where I bring in guests to talk about the games that I've played recently. Today's episode is another entry in the Lazy Sunday series where we discuss smaller indie games that can be completed in five hours or less. My guest today is a friend of the show and newly typecasted walking sim enthusiast, Jake Anderson. Hey Jake. Hello. Good to have you back. Hey, it's good to be back. And yeah, <laughs> I am getting typecasted as the walking sim enthusiast, but uh, this is the only other one I've ever played, so <laughs> it can only go on okay, so long. Okay, so the wells run dry after this one. We're going to have to get a different genre going. Yep. For those listening, if you haven't listened, Jake was a guest on the Firewatch episode that we did, oh, a few episodes ago now. I'm not sure entirely what order these are going to be released, but uh, the Firewatch episode was also featuring Jake, so... Go check that one out if you have not. But today, we'll be talking about Gone Home, which is a first-person walking sim, maybe one of the OG walking sims. And I think it was the game that kind of inspired the name for the genre. But the game was developed and published by the Fulbright Company in 2013, with uh, console ports basically everywhere that you can play video games uh, in the years since, including a Switch port which was published by Bitworks in 2018. But before we get into Gone Home, Jake, it's been a couple weeks since we chatted, so what have you been playing other than playing Gone Home again? Yes, I did play through it again just this week, so it would be fresh in my mind. Uh, besides that, I've basically been playing the same thing since the last time we talked. It's only been a couple weeks, and I mentioned that I was playing Baldur's Gate on Switch, and those games are gigantic. So that is still what I have been playing um, and again, just really enjoying it. I just got to the titular Baldur's Gate itself uh, in the first game. So I'm progressing through that one, and then I'll do the little kind of expansion that Beamdog actually made, the new one, um, Dragonspear or something like that, Siege of Dragonspear, I think. And then I will go from that into Baldur's Gate 2, which is probably longer than both of those combined twice over. So <laughs> I'll be playing this for a long time as long as I don't bounce off of it at some point. Cool. Well, I mean, if you, I've heard that like in those games, the beginning of Baldur's Gate 1 is the hardest part because you don't have your skills up very high. You're probably losing a bunch of dice rolls and you're just, you know, fighting rats and stuff like that. So if you made it past that, you might be good. Yeah, it's based on advanced Dungeons and Dragons, so way back in the day, and starting at level one is is pretty painful because you only attack like once yeah. every six seconds, and you miss, and then you wait six seconds. Ooh, and then you miss, and then you and just, yeah, yeah, it's pretty slow going at first. Um, That's pretty rough. But I I'm I'm at a point now where I've got good gear, I've got more attacks per round. My spellcasters have enough spell slots that they don't shoot one thing and they're done. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it's going much, much quicker now. That was something that always bothered me about those old D&D systems is uh, how uh, spells work. Because I, I feel like I want to go through the game and, like, shoot my spells and have fun as a wizard. But if you do that too much, you'll you'll be out of spells really quickly. And then you're like, well, what do I do now? Like, uh, that's how I played um, Planescape Torment was as a uh, a wizard or sorcerer or whatever they call it. 
And I was like, I felt like it was heavily discouraging me from using magic until like boss fights, basically, unless I want to go rest all the time. Yeah, exactly. Um, They kind of start addressing that in Baldur's Gate. Like I'm at the point now, again, they don't have that many actual spell slots, but each of them have like two or three different wands that have 30 or 40 charges of a spell so they can just use the wands continuously and then use their spell slots for big things. But I mean, that's not how it usually works in tabletop. They just kind of had to, they knew it was going to be a problem and addressed it in that way. (laughs) Right. So let me ask you a question about, uh, because I've never played Baldur's Gate and I'm really interested in playing, but I really don't like uh, real time with pause. I actually hate it a lot. And the only reason I was able to finish Planescape Torment is because you, that game's pretty easy if you put it on easy mode. So, mm-hmm. would is there a way for someone like me to get through those games on easy mode with like a kind of a class or something that makes that combat as painless as possible, or is it just gonna be? Is it gonna be tough? No, the uh, especially the enhanced editions, they have ways to work around it. Um, one nice thing is a lot of the classes got kind of better uh, kits, which are kind of like subclasses of the classes in Baldur's Gate 2, and those were all brought back so you could play with those from the beginning. And the Paladin subclasses in particular are really powerful and really good and can make some of the more painful things to deal with not even matter. Um, such as level drain. There are bad guys that can take away your levels. Oh, Jesus. And some of the paladin subclasses are just immune to that, so you don't even have to worry about it. Uh, And then they also actually, besides having an easy mode, which does make it easier, there's a story mode, which makes it so you can't die, um, you heal over time automatically, your strength is set really high because that also affects your chance to hit with melee, so you're less likely to uh-huh. miss. And if you're just wanting to experience it for the story, throw it on story mode. Um, I've done that for a few fights here and there where I'm like, I really don't feel like going around and you know grinding or something and coming back. I'm like, I just want to deal with this and be past it. Yep. And I just throw it on story mode, do the fight, and then switch it back. Mainly been playing on easy because, yeah, I'm not in this for the the tactical combat, which people that want that, it's definitely there. Mm-hmm. I just want to enjoy the experience. Yeah, exactly. I, I That would be me 100% also. And I'm glad that they embraced the fact that like, hey, this combat system is, even by real time with pause standards, this is super old and like people may not really enjoy it. So let's put in story mode so people can experience the story, which is really what people are playing Baldur's Gate for is the story and role-playing and characters and stuff, right? So it's good that they are embracing that. Yeah, and I forget which one they did it in first because they didn't have story mode at first. And then they did it with one of the enhanced editions they did and eventually brought it into every one of the games they had done. Um, I can't remember which one they did first, though, but it wasn't something they had originally. It's something they realized exactly. Like, hey, people, some people just want to experience the story and not mess with getting deep into tactics and pausing every two seconds. And so they threw that in there. And uh, I just want to say again, playing it on Switch is awesome. I love it. And there's kind of little things that make it even better on Switch because you have a a mode where you just directly control your character with the 
analog stick instead of point and click. Mm -hmm. You can switch between the two modes. But when you put it in direct control mode, your entire party automatically follows you. And that means they automatically move at your speed. So if you get something that doubles your movement speed, you can just sprint around. And even though the rest of your party doesn't have that item, they have to keep up. And so they do anyway. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You don't have to wait. So it for makes your... it really quick to just jam <laughs> through the maps. Yeah. Which wasn't the case originally because it was point and click and they all moved on their own. And, you know, you'd have one character with a speed boost and they'd get across the map and wait and wait and wait. But in follow mode, they keep up. And uh, it's been really nice. It's <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing worse than like trying to get across the map and waiting for your party to catch up or waiting for them to pathfind around objects or something. You have a a barbarian or a monk that has higher move speed or they have haste cast on them or they have boots that increase speed and then yeah everyone else is way back there <laughs> yeah well that's good seems like they thought of a lot of uh quality of life things for those enhanced editions that's cool yeah i'm amazed at how great it is on switch because you would have told me originally i was like no there's no way this could ever be on anything except a computer with a mouse and keyboard and they pulled it off really well yeah the Planescape Torment one was really good on Switch, other than some, like, little graphical glitches. Other than that, it was a great experience uh, to play on Switch. So I'm glad that people have kind of figured out how to get those CRPGs on consoles. Like, the Divinity Original Sin games work great on consoles. They're putting the Shadowrun games on Switch soon. Like I'm, I'm excited. I'm glad they're figuring that out, how to get the, the UI and stuff going. Or the UX. Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Uh, as as for me, um, I've been playing a couple games that will make an appearance on this show later. I've been playing the Disco Elysium uh, Switch port, which is another CRPG on Switch, and that is fantastic, other than some long load times. But, you know, if you play a lot of games on Switch, you're used to longer load, or load times. So... That's been really good, and I've been playing and streaming Bloodborne, making sure that I stream uh, my whole playthrough this time. And it's my first time doing any kind of extensive streaming like that, and that's been a good time. And I get to play Bloodborne again. Hell yeah. Yeah, nothing wrong with ever, ever playing Bloodborne again. I love that game. It's really cementing itself as like one of my favorite games ever on this replay. Uh, it's It was already up there, but like, Going back through, when I already know how everything works, I don't feel like the game has lost anything by me like not being fooled by its tricks or um, not really having a ton of trouble with any bosses so far. It, it doesn't take anything away from the experience. No, it's so atmospheric that it it holds up for repeated playthroughs extremely well. Yeah, and it's been great. We're recording this uh, kind of in late October and it's been great because I don't want to play like a bunch of real horror games in October. And the Bloodborne atmosphere is just perfect for people like me. Absolutely. <laughs> so what do you say we, uh, we get into Gone Home? Let's do it.
So we're going to start with our kind of histories with the game and kind of what brought us to it uh, when we played it. So Jake, we'll start with you. What brought you to Gone Home? Uh, So I actually had to go back and look at my last time played on Steam to even remember when I originally played it, uh, which was back in December 2013. So the year it, it came out. And I just remember hearing a lot of really good things about it. I don't even remember buying it. I mean, obviously I did because free game giveaways weren't as big back then and Steam doesn't really do those much anyways. And it was during a time when I was also playing a lot of the Telltale games like Walking Dead and and all of that because those were big at the time. And so I was kind of in the mood for these just story games. And what I would do is try to play them in one sitting. And that's what I did with this. I I had kind of jumped in the first couple minutes at one point and was like, okay. And then I stopped playing. And then it was just a little bit later, maybe like a week or so after that, when I got home from work one day and I was like, this is it. I'm going to do it. I sat down, put on my headphones. And you're probably going to think I'm crazy for this, but it was in the dark with my door shut and windows shut (laughs) 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 and played from beginning to end and just absolutely loved it a lot i've really enjoyed it all right cool cool and you replayed it like this week getting ready for it how long did it take you to replay now that you know you know how to go through the game um it wasn't that much shorter because i was still trying to like reread everything and re-listen to everything as I found it and I was trying to do everything for the most part Mm -hmm. so it wasn't that much shorter I mean it's already a short game my original playthrough was um like 98 minutes is what Steam said it might have missed a little bit here and there but that's what it looked like and this time was a little over an hour um and then I did a couple things I looked up some things I thought I might have missed watched some videos and a couple things like that. Got a couple achievements that were just kind of fun to do for no reason. Uh, but it wasn't that much shorter, really. Okay, fair enough. Uh, as for me, I had played a couple of other walking sims. Like, um, I think I'd played Firewatch first and What Remains of Edith Finch. And I was kind of like looking up like other cool walking sims. Because like you said, I kind of got this thing like... I don't really like watching movies a whole lot, but I do like uh, getting an entire story in one sitting. For me, games just have this like interactivity that I have trouble with with movies um, feeling engaged unless I like go to the movie theater or something. So I was looking for more of these types of games and uh, Gone Home is on all of the like best walking sim lists, of course. And so I gave it a shot. And I, I think I mentioned this in the Firewatch episode, but I was too scared uh, to finish this. I could not get through it. After uh, maybe I, I went in the house and I went through the, the left wing of the house and then I went upstairs. And as soon as I got upstairs, I got too scared and I stopped. So I put it down. And then uh, after talking with you about it, um, I kind of got that inspiration to go back and try it again. And by that point, I had played some games that are actually scary, like legitimately scary. So I had a bit more like confidence in my ability to get through it. So decided to give it another go. 
So uh, my playthrough took me about two hours to get through, which is, um, I think it's a bit long. Uh, like, I don't think that this game should take more than two hours, but uh, I was taking my time listening to all the stuff, reading all the documents I could find because I was really interested in what was going on. So yeah, that's my, uh, my history with Gone Home there. So let's get into the kind of basics of the game and how it works. Before we start, we'll say like as a walking sim, Gone Home is really, really, really relying on its story to... Uh, you, what I'm trying to say is your enjoyment of the game will be based on how much you enjoy the story. And so obviously this episode is going to be really heavy on spoilers. So... If you don't want to be spoiled on the story, we will kind of talk briefly about it without spoilers, but there will be a spoiler section at the end of the episode where we will go in some detail about the story. So if you haven't played it, go play it. It takes two hours, but if you want to listen to it uh, kind of as a service, that's cool too. So let's get started. Uh, as a walking sim, this is pretty light on mechanics. You're walking around and you're getting the story told to you basically. So, um, Jake, I wanted to ask you, you said you, you've played this game and you've played Firewatch. And so what do you think that the, what are you looking for in a game like this? If you were to, uh, look for another walking sim to play, like what about the genre are you trying to get in this type of game? Uh, for me, it's really kind of a slice of life thing where I'm learning about these characters and I'm learning about their life, uh, things they've they've gone through, and that's what really draws me into these. It's all about the people, um, not so much the setting, though of course that helps, but it's about the people, and if I feel connected, and if I'm interested in their stories, and what's going on in their lives, that's what will keep me interested. And both Gone Home and Firewatch had me interested in the people right away, and that's why I, I continued through and and actually completed them because I've dipped my toe in a bunch of other um, walking sims and a lot of those from the little bit of time I've spent in them are much more about the setting and the area and I'm barely learning anything about people at first and I bounce off. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, this, this game really is one of those like slice of life games because as we'll get into it, you, you play as the main character, but you're just kind of learning what happened in the past. It's not really a story about you, the main character. So you are really getting a slice of life. That's cool. Uh, anything about the genre that you um, like that you dislike or you wish was different? Maybe, I mean, I know Firewatch and Gone Home are kind of different within the same genre, but anything about the genre that you kind of dislike or turns you off a little bit um slow movement <laughs> yeah but if i was able to sprint through it would probably kill the mood so it's probably a good thing that they don't let me do that yeah mm -hmm. and well that's a good segue to talk about the kind of gameplay of gone home this is as far as slow movement goes this is one of the slowest mm -hmm. it's almost like you're tiptoeing around this house so <laughs> It's, uh, you're, you're walking through the house and, um, that's, that's what this game is. You, you get to a house and you're exploring it and uncovering the story. So 
you can walk around and interact with objects uh, like you can and should turn the lights on because it's dark and it's spooky. And you can also pick up objects and rotate them and open drawers and stuff like that. That's about it. There's no combat. You can't run. There's no jumping. Nothing. It is walking and picking stuff up and checking containers. So the story has to be good because this is how you get your information so that like that feed of information has to be satisfying for a game like this to work and I think that was part of the like if there was negative reception for this game back in the day I don't know you played it back in the day maybe you had your finger on the pulse more than me but if this is the game where reviewers started calling them walking simulators as like a derogatory term like I guess people were some people didn't like the fact that your like your gameplay actions are super super limited in Gone Home even more than Firewatch like way more limited than Firewatch yeah that you really don't do much of anything it's all about the story and experiencing it and that's it and like I, I've said this before on several episodes I think walking sims are scary like just in general Every single walking sim I've played has been some degree of scary. And Gone Home was no different, mostly because of the setting, but like even without the setting, the fact that you don't the fact that you can't do anything, if something were to happen, you have no like defensive vocabulary at all. That's exactly it. Yeah, and in Gone Home, the fact that it is in this dark house with that those limitations on you as a player if something were to happen that was what led to this game being super super scary yeah they do lean into um some spooky things on purpose like there are some things that are supposed to be like this is weird why is this happening yep and they do hint at spooky stuff uh within this old dark home yeah a hundred percent and I, we'll talk about that in the spoiler section, I think. But you're right. They do, mm-hmm. like, the developers know that you're going to be, like, uneasy at the very least. Because this is a creepy uh, situation, you know, in a dark house. And there's a storm going on outside, of course. Right, right. So they know that you're going to be on edge a little bit. And they they use that to their advantage a couple of times. So... Uh, Most of the time when you play the game, what you're doing is you are finding journals from uh, the main character's sister, Sam. You're finding journals, and they they play as audio logs as you walk through the house. So it's that great... It's my preferred way to get these info dumps, which is to have it playing while I can walk around instead of, like, I need to actually read three or four pages of text. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're getting those audio logs and you're walking around the house. Um, are you with me on that? Is that kind of is that a good way for you to get information? Or I know maybe you can get distracted or something. No, I I like that way too, as long as it's handled well. Because like in some games, you know, you start listening to an audio log and then combat starts and it kicks it out and you have to go back and refind it, re-listen to it from the beginning or whatever. They have to be put in places where that won't happen if it's that type of game or done in a way where it's spaced out well. Like this one is spaced out well that even if you're going straight from one to the other, like if you know where they are, most likely the one will be ending as you're ready to pick up the next one. 
So you don't really need to be worried about missing something or cutting something off. You can keep exploring and most likely you're not going to pick up something else that's trying to talk to you while you're still listening to a previous one. Right. And that was an issue. Like I always, I always point to Bioshock as a good example of this because they have a lot of lore and story they want to give you. um, And it, it wouldn't work if they just gave you pages of text. So they do this audio log system too. But in Bioshock, there's a lot going on. And it's mm-hmm. the audio logs run for like, you know, 30 seconds or so, which it doesn't sound very long. But in a setting like Bioshock with combat and stuff like that, I found it really easy to get distracted from those. And in Gone Home, that never really happened. Exactly. Uh, like you said, because they're spaced out, they're spaced out pretty well. And they... This is probably something they got from playtesting and stuff, but they kind of know, like, when you get the audio log, what are you going to do? You're either going to walk around slowly and look at other stuff, or you're just going to stand still and listen. And in both cases, uh, it works It works out pretty well. Mm-hmm. And in Gone Home, the other thing you're doing is going through and, like, oh, opening every single cupboard, cabinet, dresser, drawer, closet in the entire game. Um, and just, well, if you're me and you're a heathen, you just leave them open all the time. So this is uh, kind of half walking sim and half cabinet opening sim, yes. I think. That doesn't roll off the tongue quite the way walking sim does. <laughs> but, well, no spoilers, but mom is going to be mad when she gets home because yes. every single drawer and <laughs> cabinet and light, every single light in the house is on. Uh, the house has been ransacked when you're done with this game. So yep. did, did you ever get tired of that? Like g- you see a room and you're automatically like, okay, got to open those drawers, got to open that cabinet, got to see what's in that box. It's short enough that I don't get tired of it. Um, if it was much longer, I probably would, but it's short enough that it feels worthwhile. That's true. And you find stuff in cabinets and drawers often enough that it's worth it because there'll be you know a few drawers with nothing and then oh here's a little little snippet or here's something that actually starts talking to me you know it's reading a journal entry um so i didn't really get tired of it in this but um i at least closed everything behind me my goodness (laughs) oh you're you're so polite that's awesome (laughs) not like me i am a I'm a degenerate gamer and I'm not closing any doors or turning off any lights or anything like that. I think the first time I played, the way I kept track of if I was done was I would close the door to the room. And I knew if the door was closed, I was done. If it was open, it meant that maybe there was something that had been locked in there that I hadn't been able to get to yet. Oh, okay. The way I kept track of things was I would just leave all the, you know, the cupboards open And if I saw that everything was open, I'd be like, okay, I've been in here before. I've looked at that thing. Yeah, but sometimes they have things that you couldn't open yet in that room. Yeah. Well, those are are rare enough that... It's true. You kind of remember where they are. There's like maybe four or five of those, if that. So (laughs) it's not very much. And I think they mark those on your map. If you get to like a locked door or something like that, they, yeah, they circle it on the map. They don't mark locked, like, cabinets or things like that, but they mark uh, okay. other things as you find them. Or if you find a note that says something, that'll suddenly be on your map. 
So you don't have to remember, oh yeah, I read about something over here. It'll be on your map now, which is really nice. Right. Yeah. Because sometimes you'll get those, like, you'll find the key that will unlock that door all the way across the map, but you still have another couple of rooms you want to go look through. Mm -hmm. And it's really nice that they highlight that. So I don't have to like, like literally write it down or something like that. Hey dude, go check the basement. Now this isn't an eighties or nineties CRPG where you have to keep notes. Come on, draw my own map. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, Let's talk about the kind of story and setting here before we get into the spoiler section. Quick question, though. The uh, the team that made this game, the Fulbright uh, Studio team, had previously worked on the Bioshock 2 Minerva's Den DLC. Did you play that? I have not played that because I played a bunch of the first Bioshock but didn't actually beat it. And so I was always like, I need to beat it before I play Bioshock 2. And I still haven't gone back and done that. <laughs> so, Gotcha. Well, um, the Minerva's Den... DLC. I'm sure you've heard of it before. It has a really good reputation for its uh, story, and that was these same people. So when I kind of saw that, it gave me uh, a lot of confidence in their ability to tell a good story in a kind of, I don't want to say non-linear way, but in not just like you are the main character and the main story is happening to you and stuff like that. It's not quite how this game works Mm -hmm. and the Minerva's Den DLC I think is a a kind of masterpiece of game storytelling factoring in the differences between games and other like mediums Um, so when I saw that I was like oh okay this uh, this story is going to be good when I was getting ready so in this story you play as a 21 year old woman named Katie Greenbrier who has just returned from a year in Europe. And while she was away, her family moved uh, into a new house, a big kind of like mansion on a hill. And when you arrive, uh, this is your first time at the house, which is important for uh, the way the story is told, I think. When you arrive, nobody's home, and there's a note on the front door from your younger sister, Sam, and the note says, do not come in and do not investigate. And like we said earlier, it's dark. It's I think it's 1 a.m. There's a storm outside, so it's a uh, pretty spooky setting. So, Jake, when you first... Try to remember, if you can, back from 2013, when you first saw this house the storm it's dark and then the note from the sister that says like don't come in don't investigate do you remember what your initial thoughts were upon seeing that yeah i was like ah crap (laughs) (laughs) i was uh i was on edge i was on edge and i was like oh boy like it got me excited but at the same time i was like am i gonna be able to do this because i'm someone that um yeah i'm not i'm not great at playing uh, horror games. I think the first time I realized that was two games come to mind. One was one of the unofficial like mods that was made for OG Half-Life. Um, and it was called They Hunger. And it was a horror zombie mm-hmm. um, mod, which was fantastically well made. I forget what happened to those guys, but you know, it's one of those things that I think they got hired by Valve eventually and stuff like that. Um and the other was Doom 
3 when that first came out with the flashlight mechanic. Yeah. I realized the only way I was able to play those was if I had a friend over and I convinced them to sit next to me and watch me play this game because I thought it was cool. <laughs> and then if they were like, no, never mind, and they left, I was like, I can't keep playing and I had to turn it off. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I can I can totally understand that because uh, when I saw this, um, this like beginning, I kind of... Like I knew, I knew that the game took place in a dark house before I started. I I knew that much. But when I saw that, and I saw that note that says like, "Don't come in. Don't investigate what's happened here." Like, all of my like, dude, this this is gonna be too scary for you. All of those alarms started going off in my head because I, like I've said many times, I really don't like the feeling of being scared. I don't like that rush that you get from it. So yeah, it was warning bells were ringing when i saw that yeah i don't like jump scares um but i like atmospheric fear like i like that but get away from me with jump scares i i don't i don't like it <laughs> same same i absolutely hate it and i that's part of the reason why i quit playing uh gone home the first time was that like I had searched on like Reddit or something like does Gone Home have jump scares and people said no. And I actually want people to know this. If you're listening to this this episode and you haven't played Gone Home and you're worried about being jump scared, this game does not have jump scares and you can trust me because I hate jump scares. And I hate how like some people are like, oh, that's not a jump scare. This That's not a jump scare, but it's you're like it is to me. Yeah, exactly. I feel like, like there's <laughs> there's one thing that's kind of like a startle, um, but not at the level of a jump scare. Yeah. And when we go into the spoiler section, I'll mention it because it even got me the second time around because I had forgotten that it happens. <laughs> but it's incredibly minor. Yeah, I'm interested to hear what it is because I don't remember a um, even a, a real startle. I thought this was a pretty calm experience once I had like mentally processed no people are not lying to you there are mm-hmm. no jump scares in this game yeah um <laughs> so when i saw that at the beginning that kind of put me on edge and the other thing that really works for the setting is the house inside the house i think everyone can relate to that feeling where it's like it's late at night uh, maybe you woke up to go to the bathroom or maybe you just got home really late or something like that and your house is as dark as it could possibly be and even though it's your house uh, you still get a little spooked by what's happening and this game really gets that that feeling and it's even more because this is not your house and for the main character she it's her first time in the house too mm-hmm. so it's a totally unfamiliar, dark, it's not like a rundown horror mansion, but it's not like they they were still in the process of moving. They hadn't unpacked everything. Uh, and that's kind of part of the setting too, is all these un, unopened boxes and stuff like that. And it adds a little bit to it. So yeah, I think that this house as the setting is fantastic. I would definitely agree. It's it's really well thought out. It's really well laid out. Um, and it's really fun to explore. Yeah. And there's a lot of little details in the house that really make it feel like a real person's house. Like um, 
Uh, just the one that I wrote down is that if you look at the refrigerator, there are like wedding invitations on the refrigerator. And my refrigerator is, you know, covered in old wedding invitations because we don't throw anything away. And like th there are so many little touches like that that make this feel like a, a real place that has real people living in it. It's it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, one of the things I really like is... I mean, I kind of say it in this next part we're going into about the um, story being told and learning about the family. And not only the family, but you, for every member of the family, you learn about at least one connection they have to somebody outside the family, if not more mm -hmm. than one, which just helps build that that extra layer of of believability and reality to it you're not just learning about mom dad and sister you're learning about you know mom or dad and co-workers or extended family and sister and people she knows at school mm -hmm. uh, or people she knows from wherever and that adds one more layer to give give the characters better depth and make it more interesting to find out about because you're not just discovering inter-family relationships but also their other relationships that might affect how their inter-family relationships um, happen yeah i think we're gonna mention this several times and i think we already did but the the family they feel like real people even though you're only this game is only two hours long uh the family feels like real people and i think that's a big part of it mm -hmm. you learn about not just the way they interact with each other, but like other parts of their lives, because, you know, we, we have our families, but we, we also spend a lot of time with other people and we have connections with other people. And you'll see that, you know, in people's houses, you'll see pictures of other people, or you'll see, I don't know, if people keep postcards from other people or something like that, you'll see that stuff. And this game really nails that. Yeah, incredibly well. So let's talk like spoiler free for just a minute about the story because it's, it's really hard to go any further than we already have without getting into spoilers. But spoiler free thoughts about the story, Jake? It's it's good. I really enjoy it. Um, there's good family drama and there's good individual drama for each of the characters. Um, I mean, it's definitely focused on the sister, but... Each of the characters, um, mom and dad as well, have things going on that you find out about. And they each have things that you kind of like, well, that wasn't probably a good thing to do or that wasn't good, you know, flaws. But also, I get it. I understand. They do a really good job of making them feel like real people. Right. And like along that note, the the way that the story unfolds, I think, is a very believable story. And this is, you know, this is a video game, and video games tend to get into um, fantasy land a little bit. I mean, they can, because it's a video game. You can literally make whatever you can draw and, like, render, you can put into a video game. So uh, the limits are a little bit less uh, than some other media, I think. But this game really keeps it down to earth in a really believable way. And yeah, the way the story is told, uh, slowly you're getting these audio logs that tell you the story. It's, um, it lets, and it lets you kind of 
marinate on that story beat and think about what it means for the characters and then you get the next one and by the end you have this kind of like snapshot of this family and their relationships with each other and kind of how they exist in the outside world too Uh, and I think it's really well done for a game that's you know two hours or less absolutely so let's get into our like kind of final thoughts in summary uh, recommendation uh, if if you recommend the game, and then we'll get into spoilers after that. So Jake, we'll start with you as the guest. Uh, your kind of final thoughts about Gone Home in summary. Uh, I, I really enjoy it. Uh, I think it's well worth playing. Again, especially since it's so short, you can just sit down and play it instead of um, watching a movie or watching you know two or three episodes of a show one day that just sit down and play this instead um it's a it's a good story it's fun to experience it's got good atmosphere good voice acting and it's very enjoyable and well worth um you know the amount of time that it requires that's a good point about the voice acting you didn't mention it um the voice acting for sam is really really good yeah uh, she did a great job my final thoughts uh, about gone home is um it's kind of interesting playing this game after playing some of the like more recent acclaimed walking sims like edith finch and firewatch because those do a little bit to vary up the gameplay so you're not just walking and opening stuff uh the whole time in those games so it was interesting playing gone home which uh you know i was doing some research and this is one of the kind of early versions of the genre is interesting to see where uh, they got their inspiration and like you I enjoyed the story and I think the characters are really good um, and I can't overstate how well the setting of the abandoned house works Uh, however unlike you I will not play this game in the dark with the lights off and the doors closed lights are on I'm playing this uh, you know at peak daytime hours, like 1 p.m. or something like that, because I I still do think that it's kind of spooky. But <laughs> oh no, you got a lights off. Preferably, there's a lightning storm outside at the time you're playing. Uh, headphones on for that full, you know, nice sound experience. Uh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I well now that I know what's going on, I think I could probably handle that. But yeah. Uh, We'll do a little bit of housekeeping here before we get into the spoilers section. So thank you for listening. If you're going to tap out now because you don't want to be spoiled on Gone Home, I support that. Go play this game. It's fairly cheap and it will not take up uh, much of your time. This is part of the Lazy Sunday series. You can definitely play this game in a Sunday afternoon. So thank you for listening if that's you. And if you want to support the show, please subscribe on your platform of choice. Uh, Please leave ratings and reviews if you can. I think that that helps uh, fight the man. And uh, the best thing you can do is just tell people that there's a games podcast that you should check out, even though uh, people may shrug and disown you and block you on social media for suggesting new podcasts, but it's worth it. I also do a podcast called A Top 3 Podcast, where each week I pick a topic and uh, my three best friends and I talk about our top three things in that topic and discuss so that one's a good time sometimes we talk about games but we're all over the place with our topics on that show so check that out if you want to hear more of me which of course you do 
So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, it is spoiler time. Okay, we're back, and it's time for spoilers in Gone Home. So in this section, instead of going kind of like beat by beat with what you discover in the order you discover it in the house, I want to talk about the individual family members and their stories. And then when we get to talking about Sam, that will go kind of in the chronological order. So uh, let's start with, I think, the first character that you really get substantial information about, which is the dad, uh, whose name is Terry. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry is a failed slash failing writer who's published uh, two JFK conspiracy thriller novels starring a main character named John Russell. Uh, those books did not sell very well, and at the po- at the point of the story he's writing... Uh, like consumer electronics reviews and he's kind of getting scolded for going on tangents in his writing I like that detail uh, like from his superior where you you get that like hey man just fucking write a speaker review stop going on tangents about your personal life it kind of gives this feeling like dad is a little bit unhinged with his writing and not not really taking this very well yeah, and if you look around his areas, like his office and stuff, you can find stuff like a whiskey bottle hidden at the top of a bookshelf. You can tell he is not handling the failure very well, because um, he's working on a third book, but he got turned down by the people that published the first two. Right. They said, sorry, the only reason we okayed the second one, we didn't think the first one was great, but we gave the go-ahead on the second in the hopes that it would catch on as a character. And it just hasn't. And so he's not handling this well. And you find that him not handling this well is also affecting the mom and her story and their story. Because again, they all have their own individual stories and their own stories interacting with each other. Um, And it's pretty great how well they pulled that off. Yeah. And mom is um, like, we'll, we'll talk about her in a second, but mom is like, as dad's career is going in the, like down the tubes, mom's career is going very, very well. And she's like getting promoted and stuff. And you can, it's really easy to imagine how that dynamic can put a strain on a a married couple, uh, especially a married couple with children. Mm Mm-hmm. For sure. The house is full of boxes like full of these books that were never sold, which is a, a really nice touch that really like kind of like punches home the fact that uh, these books were not very successful. He, he 
I don't I didn't count how many boxes that there's got to be at least 20 or 30 boxes full of these books like scattered around the house like wherever there's space basically yeah you find copies of the first one you find copies of the second one uh, in one of the boxes if you move the top layer of books you find adult magazines hidden underneath them <laughs> yeah because he's he's thinking like well no one's gonna <laughs> check in here this is this is the safest hiding place in the whole house and it's funny uh <laughs> when you like hover over the magazine before picking it up, you get like a little thing, like a little subtitle kind of, of what um, your character's thinking. And it says, gosh, dad. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's another point in the game where you're, you're going through mom and dad's dresser drawers because of compulsive gamer behavior. And you, uh, you see uh, a condom in there and the, the little like interact icon is just, ugh from katie (laughs) it's good it's so good yeah so yeah uh that that's really like that's my main takeaway with dad is just like you go through the story and like the first couple things you see actually make it seem like he's a successful author Mm -hmm. and you you i think you learn that he's an author before you learn how you guys got that house so you're you, yes. I think I thought for a second, like, oh shit, dad is, uh, dad is like Stephen King or I don't know. Uh, yep. Having trouble thinking of another, um, you know, like Tom Clancy or something like that, writing these like these yeah. thriller novels. Yeah. That's the feeling I for sure got to. Then you find out soon after that, like, oh, uh, he's not doing great it's like it's i think it's like two rooms over you get the the letter from his employer scolding him about his reviews um you can find a say or a combination to unlock a file cabinet that has the uh the will from the uncle that like that oh that's how you got this house they inherited it from their uncle yep so yep from the dad's uncle and there's some people that say and like i i trust them it's not like i don't think this is like fan rumors that there is like some kind of sexual abuse hinted at from the uncle toward dad but i never found that did you no i i hadn't heard that either um i mean you definitely get the feeling that everything wasn't great with the uncle because well i mean one you start hearing that there's always been rumors about the house and the uncle um and you also see that they hadn't talked in a long time and there's a very apologetic tone to some things you find from the uncle. So I wouldn't be surprised if that was, if that was there or hinted at somewhere and I missed it. I mean, it would, it would fit with the story. Yeah. It, it seems, I don't know if you actually find concrete evidence of it in the story, but I think it's a very, very popular theory of people trying to dissect the story. Uh, I think it's, I think that's beyond the threshold of how I generally look at stories in video games or stories in general uh, I'll say not just video games but anyway that is at least hinted at or uh, it's a very strong fan theory but I I can't really comment further on that one other thing about dad before we move on unless you have something else um, there's a really good like later in the game you see the like typewriter where he's writing the third book and there is a very funny like kind of like story set up for the third book that I should have written down when I was playing but it's a very cheesy like 
the murder he's going to solve this time is his own like that. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's just so cheesy and stupid, but it's, it's very, it's very much like, uh, like writers who are out of ideas or something like that. It's, it's pretty good. For sure. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a good little touch. So yeah. Anything else about dad uh, before we move on to mom? Well, I mean, that's kind of the, the setup for where he is. I figure we'll come around and, towards the end come talk about where they're at once you find the full stories for them oh yeah right yeah we definitely will okay so the setup for mom uh her name is janice uh, greenbrier she's a wildlife conservationist and uh in contrast to dad like we just said uh, mom is doing really well one of the first things you find about her is that she is uh, she was supposed to go out to like a controlled uh, burn out in the forest and she did really well and she got a promotion. So like as you're discovering dad's writing career failing, you're discovering her just like apparently she's just like the best. She just ke- keeps getting promotions and you find like um, like a letter from her supervisor saying like what a good job she did and there's a newspaper clipping about how she did a great job and it's just like the total opposite of dad yeah and i kind of got the feeling through this that she spends a lot of time out in the park and like not as much time at home did you get that same feeling absolutely yeah um definitely get the feeling that her job is her happy place and not her home Yeah. And it's kind of interesting in the house how if you go in the front door, the wing to the left is like dad's space. He's got like his writing space, his um, his big ass library and like the TV room and stuff like that. And then the right wing of the house, which you can't go into until much later in the game, that's like mom's area. And she's got I think she's got like a like an art studio or like it's her hobby space over there so they mm-hmm. basically just like taken up opposite sides of the house which i don't know you could read into that um something i i want to say like you know if i had a house that big my wife and i would each have separate rooms for our hobbies and stuff like that if we had the space why not but you do get the feeling that there is some like distance between them and one of the things that gives you that feeling is uh, you find out that mom has been uh, hanging out, we'll say, definitely hanging out with a male colleague after work. You find an invitation from that colleague to an Earth, Wind, and Fire concert, which is a great, um, a, <laughs> a great concert for this, uh, oh, probably for, for sure. the age group that they're into. <laughs> and yeah, and um, it very specifically drops the hint where he says, "Hey, my girlfriend can't go. Would you like to?" Like they're they never say that anything happens, but they definitely hint that if it hasn't, it's going that way. Yeah, exactly. And I just think Earth, Wind, and Fire is a great concert to go to if you're cheating on your spouse. Um, <laughs> you find that ticket stub in the uh, like in the heating vent uh, on the floor. Yeah, which, uh, she's got to be more careful with throwing away the evidence there. <laughs> And this is also, I don't think we mentioned, this is um, set in the mid-90s. It's 1995. Oh, right, right. Just as, uh, because that gives some reasoning as to like, oh, why aren't they just texting each other and calling each other on the cell phones? You know. Exactly, exactly. It gives that 
caveat to the story of why they're like missing each other and leaving messages and not able to just directly communicate about what's going on. So, yeah. And why, why Katie gets to the house and she has no idea what's been going on. Um, they've just been communicating mm-hmm. through postcards. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I, you, this, it's some, it, there's always this like cognitive dissonance with stories where people are not communicating the way that they should be. And so I feel like a game like this or like any story basically that wants to set up a situation like this has to go just text each other. Yeah, exactly. No, seriously. It's why, um, you know, there's entire episodes of sitcoms that don't work on the generation. I was like, you would just call each other. It's like, no, they couldn't do that. That's the whole point. They weren't at home. You don't know where they are or how to contact them. The end. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, like I was just watching the Seinfeld episode with the Chinese restaurant. Exactly. Where the whole the whole thing is them waiting to use a payphone so they can call somebody, and you know, does I'm not work anymore I'm, as a as yeah, a plot point. I'm not, I'm not breaking any news here, but that yeah, it wouldn't work now. And so yeah, that's a good point that this game is set in the '90s pre cell phone era, and that's why. That's why Katie doesn't uh, have any information about what's happening, and that's why. Um, there's, uh, like stuff with the sister too. Um, she can kind of mm-hmm. like, she can kind of like lie and go do whatever she wants. Cause she's out of, out of contact. Yeah. And it's why no one's there when you get home, because when you get there, you find, you find your character's message saying, Hey, I'm going to get there late unlistened to on the answering machine. So they didn't even know that she was going to be arriving at the time she did. Yeah. Oh, the answering machines. That's a that's a blast from the past. Oh, Get yeah. home, check the messages. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we kind of brought up Sam there. So let's get into uh, talking about Sam. And Sam is Katie's younger sister. And Sam is the real main character of the story. This, is, this story is about her. Yes. Mom and dad are the side characters. And Katie is just... Your proxy. Katie is just you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, Sam is a senior in high school and you, I really like how they kind of characterize her early before you start seeing her story. Her characterization starts when you find one of her school assignments about the menstrual cycle. And uh, first of all, what got this was um, I, I am a teacher and that assignment seems very uh, teacher trying to make something uh, something that could be like awkward for people or something that could be boring, trying to make it entertaining and not awkward. That story of like, tell the story of the menstrual cycle. So Sam wrote this like wild story about lovers in Poland during a war. And like all the while the, like the, the body processor processes are happening while this like war torn love story is happening. And all you see is a note from the teacher at the top that says, see me. And it gives you this feeling like (laughs) Sam is like this rebellious kid. She's, she's creative. She, it like, she sees like, Oh, this assignment's kind of bullshit. I'm going to have fun with this. Um, it, It gives you a little slice of her character before you even get her story. Uh, it also creates a good connection because dad's a writer and you can see that she likes creative writing as well. That's true. Yeah. Good point. 
Um, I like this also because later in the game you get you see Katie's version of that same assignment. Yep. And Katie's is like is just so boring, so like by the book. Uh, she gets a good grade it's on it. It's just the assignment. Yep. <laughs> um, so a little contrast with uh, with Sam and Katie there. So before getting too much into Sam, because this story is about her, we're going to get into like the plot of the story. Any other kind of thoughts about the family before we move on? They're just really well thought out, as we kind of talked about previously. Um, their stories are interesting. They're each distinct. They each have their outside of the family interactions as well as their inside of the family reactions. They feel very believable. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the, like, I think that they could have spun this web out too far. They could have reached too far with some of these storylines, but they keep it pretty, um, pretty believable, you know? Uh, mom is hanging out with a male colleague, maybe having an affair. Dad is having career trouble. He's maybe, like you said, maybe there's uh, some alcoholism brewing or already present. Um, little sister is a teenage girl. You know, it, it just seems like a very believable family. There's really nothing about this, the family dynamic and stuff that makes me think like, ah, that's that's weird. I would say there's also on the other end nothing that's like, oh, that's that's cliche and boring. You know, that's dumb. Yeah. All, all of these things we're talking about, uh, about the family, like the dad's failing writing career and uh, mom is, you know, doing well in her career and maybe having an affair. Like, those are not super exciting, but they're not cliche. Uh, they they feel very real. And it's a, it's a good testament to the storytelling. Yeah, exactly. They could have easily been cliche, but... Like you said, the storytelling is done so well that instead it just feels grounded and real. Yeah. All right. Cool. So let's talk about the story. So the story starts and you get an audio log from Sam that's kind of talking about like her early days at the new school after they moved. And uh, you find a note. It's in the first hallway. It's crumpled up. And it's like uh, it's one of those like pass back and forth in class notes. Like 
I don't even know if kids are doing that these days, but definitely back in the 90s. Um, and someone like pretends to ask her a serious question. And then she says like, yeah, sure. Ask me whatever. And they ask like, uh, they like make fun of her for living in the psycho house and asking if going crazy runs in the family. And that like psycho house trope is something that I remember a lot from older like horror stories basically. So that like really put me on edge right at the beginning. For sure. Yeah. You're like, Oh wait, what's going on? (laughs) And you, there's like this hint that, the uncle did something or had some kind of uh, mental disorder or something like that. And I don't know, it really put me on edge and it like I was for most of the game, they're running with this as like a plot of like, this could be the mystery that you're uncovering is like what happened in this house. It's a possibility. And uh, it's uh, it's not. Nope. It's a red herring. The story that is being told here has nothing to do with the uncle, nothing to do with his mental health problems, uh, nothing to do with some grisly thing that happened in this house. It's just uh, maybe just teenagers spreading shitty rumors. Absolutely. Um. So there was something going on with the uncle, which you can find um, what really happened with him. Okay. Um, if you get into the safe in the basement. Oh, I didn't open the safe. So what's in there? Um, basically a bunch of old medications, morphine and stuff. He was self-medicating and was probably Ah. addicted to morphine and having some pretty serious issues because of that. I see. Okay. So maybe not teenagers. Yeah, you find, yeah, no, no, no. You find, um, like rubber tubing, syringes, morphine, you know, classic old medications that are now very highly regulated right yeah (laughs) so maybe maybe not teenagers spreading shitty rumors and um just uh you know like i don't know how big this town is but if it's a small town um then you know everyone knows that one house you know like that's the Mm -hmm. that's the psycho house or like that's the haunted house in the town and like you kind of get the feeling that go ahead yeah if they're always seeing this guy and maybe sometimes he's seen and he's you know pale and has the sweats or you hear screaming come from the house Mm -hmm. well that can happen with morphine withdrawals Mm. you know so it was it's the it's the um the story that's been passed down you know the um urban myth um that's just the way that people have interpreted what this guy was going through when they didn't know what he was actually going through. Right. Yeah. And then that gets put onto Sam uh, when she moves into the house. And exactly. there, there's like another kind of red herring plot that you you uncover where Sam and uh, Lonnie are using a Ouija board to like communicate with the ghost of Uncle Oscar and you find mm-hmm. uh you find like their Ouija board like reading or something like that, and they ask like, "What do you want?" and he writes like to live or something like that yeah, <laughs> it's a pretty brief uh plot line of course, this is not what's happening, but I think it's a really good like it for like fifteen or twenty minutes it gives you this like, oh shit, is there a ghost in this house 
Yeah. I think both of those red herrings are really, really good. Yeah, they're 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 done in a way that lets them be believable for a while, which builds tension. But then when you find out the truth, you're like, oh, but this is absolutely what what some teenagers would do. Like it's it's not like, oh, that was again, not oh that was dumb, but okay, yeah, no, that makes sense. And uh I would say the first time that I went upstairs and went down the hallway with all the red lights around the attic. Yeah. Freaked me out. Yep. And <laughs> I was, I was like, like, why is there an attic <laughs> highlighted in red lighting? That is creepy. And then it's like, oh, it's just because she makes pictures up there. And yeah. the red lights are saying, don't come in because you'll ruin the pictures I'm producing. Yeah, exactly. And but like when you first see that, it, it's pretty soon after you get this like ghost story uh, side plot. And mm-hmm. I was very exactly. much like, OK, I'm at the end of the hallway the last place is the attic. I really don't want to go up there. And then I clicked on it and it was like, the attic's locked. And I was like, fuck yes, the attic's locked. I don't have to go in there right now. All right. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So, so yeah, that's uh, it, those, those little like horror side plots that are just there to like, kind of let your imagination run wild in this like dark and stormy house. Those are really, really good. Excellent. Um, excellent little distractions yes they are for sure so uh in the actual story of what actually happened you start to get these these journal entries from sam and she's talking about like this uh i don't even think she says girl at first i think she just talks about this kid named lonnie and uh i to me i thought it was a boy because uh lonnie Either Lonnie, at the very least, reads to me as a gender-neutral name, and I've mm-hmm. I know people I know boys named Lonnie, so uh, I thought it was a boy, but uh, you quickly find out it's not. Lonnie is a girl at school, and you, so Sam is talking more and more about Lonnie and how they're hanging out and uh, they're kind of getting close. And this is uh, the beginning of the love story, uh, which is like the main plot of the game, is the love story between Sam and Lonnie. And uh, I think that, first of all, I need to say, like, I am not gay. I don't have these experiences that are being um, brought out in the story here. Uh, But I think that this story is done in a very tasteful way. Like, no one's really asking for my input on this as a straight white guy, I'm aware. But um, I, I like how this, like, the the story is about these two teenage girls falling in love, but it's not, it's not, it's played up just as a regular love story. That's what Absolutely. I'm trying to say. Like, they're not caricatures like uh, like older stories used to do where you'd have gay characters and like, that's their entire personality is that they're gay. And this is not like this at all. It's a very, yeah, very tasteful story. No, it's really sweet. It is. It's really sweet and touching. And uh, I mean, it's easily, you know, one of the reasons that I loved it so much is, it's just, it's so feel good, you know? And like the way that they, you so you get these like audio logs of you know them hanging out them uh like sneaking out and going to like a uh i think it's a misfits concert mhm and it just really it just really brought back like how strong those like 
teenage feelings of attraction used to be. Yeah. I think that they really captured that really, really well. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they just talk about hanging out. They talk about like playing video games. Yeah. Um, playing Street Fighter. I think Lonnie. Uh, yeah. They play, they start play Street Fighter, talk about playing video games. And, you know, Sam like looks up to Lonnie because she's this, this, you know, punk girl and she thinks that's so cool. Mm-hmm. And at first it kind of feels just that like, oh, this is this cool girl that knows who she is. And then, you know, quickly it comes into that oh my goodness, like, do I like her? Does she like me? Is she even like that? Am I like that? Like, and it's just, it's really sweet. And they go to this, um, this, you know, Misfits concert and they, uh, they have a real like moment at the concert together. And then uh, Lonnie starts hanging out over at the house more and more and more. And there's, by this point, you're upstairs going through the house You've gone through Sam's bedroom. Uh, there's a locker that's uh, locked, but other than that, you're kind of you're going around. Uh, all the fucking TVs are left on on like the static channel, uh, which is very creepy. I need to turn the TVs <laughs> yeah. off as soon as I go in these rooms. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite moments in the game that just gave me a little startle is when you go is this the startle you're talking about when you go into the bathroom and it looks like it's covered in blood this isn't it but this is a great moment it's really good so you go and you uh you see this uh bloody bathtub um kind of around the area where if you were laying in the bathtub your head would be is just covered in red and you're like oh fuck like what happened someone got murdered in the (laughs) bathtub and then you you immediately find a journal that says like, Oh no, I just, I helped Lonnie dye her hair red and she got hair dye on the bathtub and didn't clean it up. And you're like, ah, man, that was a, a very, you you find, you find the bottle of red dye right there. Yeah. And that whole sequence lasts like a minute or two minutes or probably even less than that, like a minute or less where you're like, Oh, someone's dead. Oh no. Red hair dye. Okay. Everything's fine. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's done really, really well. It's a good little fake out. One of many. <laughs> yeah. So then you um, you you keep progressing and you get to the part where uh, Sam uh, comes out to her parents and uh, kind of talks about how she's in love with Lonnie and uh, her parents are in denial uh, of what's happening. They basically say like, no, that's that's not possible. You can't you can't be gay. That's, you know, you're too young. There's no way you could know that you have, you haven't even had a boyfriend to see all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Basically all of the, the checklist of being in denial about that, I guess. Yeah. One of my favorite parts of that particular journal entry, when mm-hmm. she's getting ready to say, Hey, I told mom and dad, and this is how they find out, found out, uh, this is how they reacted is she basically says like I'm sure you know I'm sure you've known I'm sure you could tell I've known since Shira I just I love that line <laughs> that I I've known since Shira and I was like that is such an awesome little drop because be you know she would have been an 80s kid and mm-hmm. Shira yeah would have been the thing like oh uh, you know a, a strong female I like like and it's like it's such a great line I really like it yeah it's good. And like I, I kind of thought that was a joke, but I guess it could also be, uh, could also be true. Sam's kind of a, a sarcastic and funny teenager, so yeah, that's good though. Mm-hmm. So like about the parents, like 
the parents are kind of in denial about it, but I, I, I actually like how they're portrayed here because again, they seem real in, in a way like, so they, they're not accepting of this. They're not like, Oh, okay, well, I'm happy that you're figuring yourself out. They don't say that, but they're also like, no daughter of mine is going to be gay or something like that. They they don't go on those extreme ends of the spectrum. They try to ignore it. Yeah, they try to ignore it. They still let Lonnie come over to the house. So like they don't do like that, you know, you're never allowed to see her again. They they don't do that. You are forbidden. Yeah. And uh they basically just institute like an open door policy in the house. Um which you can see on the I think that's on the like the bulletin board outside of Sam's bedroom or maybe it's a note somewhere else in the house. But yeah, they they basically say like, "Okay, well, she comes over, you have to leave your bedroom door open." Basically. Yeah. Speaking of that bulletin board, I thought it was a nice there's a nice little meta gamer Easter egg there where they were like, uh, it's her mom scolding Sam for leaving all the lights on in the house after you've just spent like yes. the last 35 minutes going through the house, like frantically turning on every light bulb you see because it's so damn dark. That was really, really good. No, I I was hoping you would bring that up because that's that's a moment <laughs> I really like too. And I think she even says you're gonna you're more and more like your sister, like indicating that you're the one that's done this oh, in the past yeah. anyway and you're doing it again now. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> it's just, yeah, no, it's a, it's a really great uh, calling you out as the player for not treating this like a real space. Yeah, and if there was a note later scolding her for leaving cabinet doors open, I would have uh, I would have lost it. That would have been good. But yeah, just one time is enough. Yeah. So um, you kind of figure out like after this, after um, you learn the story of Sam and Lonnie uh, kind of falling in love. You find out that the parents have gone on a camping trip, and that's why they're not home. It was supposed to be for their anniversary, I believe. Mm-hmm. Later, it's revealed that it's not actually a camping trip. It's a couples counseling retreat, and mm-hmm. something, another like kind of like fake out that the game did is their bedroom is a fucking mess. Yeah. It looks like they packed their bags in ten minutes and ran out the front door. And so that kind of gave me this. And this was right. I went in the bedroom right after going in the bathroom with the red uh, hair dye. Yep. (laughs) I I got in the bedroom. I was like, oh, shit. Like they running from something to get out of here. And uh, there's also a board game uh, about ghosts in that general area in the house. And like by this point, my nerves (laughs) were like, oh, my God, I can't take this. And this is right before you turn the corner and you see the red lights going up to the attic. Yep really good at building that tension yeah you like you said you find out it's a couple's counseling retreat and the, uh, that's something else i like is there's all these um all these stories that seem like they're you know everyone's crashing into a garbage pit and then you're like wait no this is actually they're coming out of that they're coming to these kind of happy you know not endings because nothing's over but these things are going in happy directions for people yeah because i don't know if we've mentioned this i don't know if it gets brought up but you uh also eventually find out that 
the dad might not be doing as bad as he thought because he's found another publisher that likes his stories. Yeah. And he found a new direction to go with the third book. Mm hmm. That people seem to really be liking, and a new publisher wants it and says it's really good. And so you're like, wait, no, things are looking up for him. Mom is doing good at work. They are going to work things out and not, you know, go down these terrible paths of what it looks like, either possible alcoholism and an affair. And no, they're going to work things out. They're doing good. Right. Um, it, 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 it's a feel good thing after being stressed out for a while in this house. <laughs> yeah. And, but you, you get those kind of like uplifting moments basically at the end. Yeah, everything starts coming to together. Yeah. This is where you start to learn why the house is empty. Um, so the parents are gone. They're on this uh, this trip. And before we get into kind of the ending and, and what's going on with Sam, we got to talk about these secret passages through the house that you find. Um, you yep. unlock uh, Sam's... I think it's in Sam's locker. You get a map of these secret passages uh, that Uncle Oscar had, and so you like you pull out these baseboards, and it. Op- oh no, the first one is in Mom and Dad's closet. Yeah, you find basically wall panels that open. Yeah. Right, not baseboards. They're wall panels, and there are there are hidden compartments along the baseboards. Right. As well. Right. And you find. Um, these passages that are just like lined with weird fashion magazine cutouts of like black and white cutouts. This is where one of my jumps was. Okay. So what was it? You go down into one of these secret passages and you turn on the light and you see this weird stuff and then the light blows out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't remember that. Yeah. I had forgotten it did that. And, uh, (laughs) When it did it the second time I was playing, I was like, oh, shit. And my heart started going and I was like, okay, because I know that nothing actually happens, but it got me. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> this is it. This is where I die. <laughs> I remember that, too, because I, like I said, I was like compulsively turning on lights. Like as soon as I entered any room, I was like, okay, where's the light? Turn the light on. Turn the light on. Hurry up. Yep. Light switch, light switch, light switch. Yeah, that's a that's a good moment. The The developers, they know... They know your compulsive behavior there, and they know blowing out that light's going to screw with you. Absolutely. Yeah, so you think that these, like, at least I thought that these, like, secret passages were going to lead to, like, the the house's sinister secret or something like that. But they, they're kind of just, like, shortcuts from one end of the house to the other. Yeah, that's all they are. They give you access to the other parts of the house, too. Mm-hmm. Like, you can access the, uh, I guess we'll call it the east wing of the house. Um, I'm not sure what the actual directions are, but uh, yeah. So you you open up a few of these passages. You find some places down there where Sam and Lonnie had been hanging out. In one of these compartments is where you find the Ouija board, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. In one of those. Uh, that one's in just like a like a kind of baseboard wall panel you can pull out. And you find it in there. Yep, and then it's in there. And uh, it in these compartments, you get some more story about Sam and Lonnie. Um, Lonnie is in a in a band, and Sam is like super supportive of her. She thinks she's awesome. Um, just totally 
like in love with this person and everything she does and it's it's really sweet and you find like the tapes of them like they're i don't know the band's demo tapes or something like that yeah some of the tapes you find i think are like mixtapes that lonnie made for sam yeah and then some of the tapes are actually of the band that lonnie is singing in right (laughs) and they're they're sufficiently like bad like a high school band i like them a lot yeah um and again even though it it is like you said you know it's a high school band it's it's touching you're like this is you know punk is a very emotional um music that a lot of people either like their whole life or go through phases with that's you know it's about exploring identity it really is and it's a perfect fit mm-hmm yeah, so let's uh, let's get into kind of the ending. I think we're ready for that. So you find out this and this is before you go up into the attic. You find out that you had already known that Lonnie is in junior ROTC and there's this weird kind of thing where Sam kind of questions like, oh, you're this punk rock person, but you're in like you're going to join the military. Like that doesn't really make sense to me. Yeah. That's really good because punk rock is anti-authority like right that's what it is (laughs) and the you don't get much more authoritarian than the military exactly so you find out that lonnie's um lonnie's shipping out to basic training soon uh which like it it felt like sam should have been aware that this was going to happen and she was just kind of like willfully ignorant that like hey she's gonna leave and she's gonna be gone for a while Uh, And Sam, I guess, just she either didn't know or she was just like, oh, I'll think about that later. That's a problem for future me. But she should have known about this. Yeah, she was she was caught up in in young love and she probably just thought of Lonnie as punk rock girl. And oh, she'll never actually go all the way through with this. Yeah, that's a good point. She probably thought like, oh, she's doing it right now, but like she's not actually going to join the army, you know? Yeah, exactly. That's the feeling I got. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, I, I kind of had the feeling like, come on girl, like you had to have seen this, like surely she's mentioned this before. Yeah. But as a teenager, you're also not as aware of stuff like that. That's yeah. (laughs) You can be a bit more oblivious. That's true. So, uh, Sam is like super, super depressed when, uh, Lonnie leaves. They have a nice, like, Lonnie does one final concert before she goes, and there's a very touching, uh, like, journal entry about that and how this is, like, their, you know, last night together or something like that uh, before she goes. But Mm -hmm. Sam is really, really broken up about this. And Sam says, uh, like, in the next journal entry, she talks about how she's going up uh, into the attic. Like, she's really, again, really broken up about uh, Lonnie leaving. Yeah. 
she says, I can't live without her. Yeah, exactly. And so she says she's going to go up in the attic, which is like their spot in the house where they used to hang out. The place where you find the key to get to the attic, you also find more hints at weirdness. You find a uh, like a pentagram with candles and yeah. <laughs> like a picture of Oscar in it and stuff. Yeah. And that's also where you find the key to the attic and she's been all depressed. And again, they just keep adding all this something horrible feeling on top of you. Yeah. So before I say like... Before I say what I thought, uh, what did you expect when you were going to the attic to open it up after hearing uh, how broken up about this Sam is? The same thing you did. <laughs> the, the, I, I, I thought I was going to go up there and, and find her dead. Yeah, 100% thought I was like, I, and I was like really creeping through there. I was already starting to tear up. Like oh. I was, I was at the point where I'm like, as soon as I see this, I'm going to start bawling. Yeah, it would have been incredibly sad because at this point, you Sam is a really, really likable character. Extremely. And yeah, that would have that would have really messed with me. And like kind of looking back on it, you know, I played this game eight years after it was released. I kind of feel like if she was dead, I would have heard about it, you know? Mm hmm huge twists like that in games don't really stay hidden forever but that's what I was expecting to see was her um, her body and so I was like creeping through the the attic stairs like really going as slowly as I can because I was like fuck fuck like yeah my heart was going yeah you haven't seen anybody in this game. Like there's, you, there are no other like characters that you see face to face. And so I was like, oh man, like this, this is how this story's going to end. You're going to go up there and find that she killed herself. And that's why the note is on the front door. That's kind of like her, she's trying to keep Katie away from it. Like, yeah, she doesn't want Katie to be the one to find it. Yeah. And like that light bulb clicked on as when I was creeping up the stairs, but like, uh, you know, like we've been hinting at, that's not what happens. Mm -mm. And we've, we've said before, this is a feel good story. And so this would not be a feel good story if this is how the story ended. But, uh, you go up there and you find another audio log from, um, Katie or not from Katie from Sam when, where, uh, Lonnie calls and, uh, I like this touch like Lonnie called three times Sam missed the first two calls and almost missed the third one but Lonnie had gotten off the bus uh, to basic training and called and said like hey let's run away together let's uh, let's start a new life and Sam did and Sam basically says like Katie I'll see you again someday uh, and that's kind of the last bit that you get so how did that ending work for you? Oh, fantastically. I loved it. Um, I, I teared up. I'm, I'm a crier. I'll say that, uh, yeah. with stories. Um, I can tear up for happy things, for sad things, for, <laughs> I, I just do. That's me. And I definitely did on this. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I love this. I love this happy, feel good ending. It was just, it worked really well. Um, but one thing I wanted to throw in really quick with the, the messages that are missed from Lonnie, those are played to great effect because, like, 
you hear one of those messages or two of them i think i think you hear the two on the answering machine downstairs and she's like crying and going sam where are you where are you and you're like oh my god what happened and it was just that she was you know she would have been crying she decided to change it it was like i need to talk to you like it was a it was a sadness with happiness as the end point Mm -hmm. but when you only hear those things at first you're like oh my god no one can find sam what happened and it leans into that what you think you're gonna find when you go up there but then you don't thankfully oh man that's um that's i missed the answering machine i didn't i didn't see it you can you hear those messages and then the last message you hear is the one that katie herself left saying hey um i'm gonna be getting in really late don't worry about trying to pick me up and since you're hearing that those are all unheard messages so you know no one has listened to those you're like what's happened why hasn't anyone heard these yeah and it adds to that that sense of mystery yeah, I bet at the beginning of the story you hear these. So you, is it pretty early in the story when you find the answering machine? Yeah, when you walk into the house, um, and the stairs are right in front of you. Yeah. To the left of the stairs in the hallway, going to the left wing, there's a phone on on a like a little hallway table, and you mm-hmm. can you find other phones that you can pick up. This one you can actually play the messages. Ah, interesting. So you 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 walk in the house and you don't know anything. And the first couple of messages you hear are this like frantic Sam, where are you? Yes, this frantic crying girl saying, "Sam, where are you?" Shit. Why aren't you there? That yeah. would have ad- that would have <laughs> added a lot of uh, a lot more atmosphere onto it. I can't believe I missed that. Mhm. There's a lot of things to miss. Um I mean, they they had a cat I did. I saw the the cat's collar in the closet. You find the collar, and I think you find something that says, like, I miss you um, Mm -hmm. about the cat or something from Sam. And there's even a secret cat journal entry you can get. Aww. Um, That's like it was literally literally written by a cat. Like, it's literally just meow, 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 (laughs) meow. while, While pictures of cats play on the television in Sam's room. Uh, that's super cool. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it's a weird out of the way thing that to, to be able to do. Um, you have to go in the garage and in the garage, there's a recycle bin with like cans and stuff in it. Mm-hmm. You use the cans to throw at something you can see up in the, like laying on top of the garage door sliders Right. And if you throw it just right, it knocks down a little purple ball, a cat toy. And you bring that to Sam's room, and she has a little basketball hoop on the back of her door, and you have to make a basket. And oh, then man. it plays the secret <laughs> cat audio journal. I watched a video of it. I haven't done it myself. I just, I saw that. I was like, wait, what secret cat journal? And I hit yeah. play and watched the little video. I was like, wow, that is really hidden and kind of funny and completely kills the mood if you accidentally were to do it somehow on your first playthrough. Oh, yeah. you That would maybe give you the wrong idea about what kind of game this is, but yeah. that's kind of cool uh, that yeah. it's there. I I don't know how anyone discovers that for the first time, honestly, but... I know. You know <laughs> I, I, I shudder to think of how much time someone spent just making any and all objects interact with each other in the game before they figured out that that, uh, that that happens. 
uh, you can find some funny stuff, like people that organized the house. Like you can find where they went and found every single um, toothpaste from all the bathrooms and like lined them up on the floor. You can find stuff where that em- that uh, opening foyer where the stairs are. Mm-hmm. All of the items from the entire house are laid out and organized there. And it's like, how much time did you spend doing yeah. this? Oh my gosh, why? much longer than it would take to actually play the game, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, but before we keep going on with that, how did the ending work for you? Oh, yeah. So, like you said, it was a nice, like, feel-good uh, ending to it because it, th- it was this insane roller coaster of, like, Sam is really happy. Sam is super depressed. Oh, no, Sam killed herself to oh, there's this happy ending. And then, mm-hmm. I don't know, part of the realist in me started to think after that, like, well, Sam, aren't you like in the middle of your senior year of high school? You're just going to run away and go live somewhere? Like, I started to think about that a little bit, but I try not to dwell on that and try to just focus on the fact that like these two, they're going to be together. Um, they're going to be happy. And it's kind of, it's very open-ended for how that's going to go. Yeah, I think it's supposed to be after the end of the school year because that's why she's shipping out and stuff like that. I think that makes sense because there was like this. There are a couple of uh, like brochures and audio logs about like uh, Sam going to some like college prep class or like applying to uh, college or something. Yeah, she got a she got into a creative writing program. Right, right. So for now, she's kind of just like fuck all that i just want to be with lonnie very teenage love story but it was a very sweet ending for sure and i am so like had the story ended with finding sam's dead body up there i like stories that end on extreme down notes um there's a (laughs) couple other games that are coming up on this uh, on this show that end like that and i'm very much here for that but I was happy that that was not how this story ended. Same here. So, yeah, that's how the ending uh, worked for me. Um, overall, uh, very happy with the roller coaster that the game puts you on, and uh, the the happy ending. And like like you said, kind of the happy endings or the upward trends for all of the characters is uh, is good, and it it, it adds to. Maybe not Sam running away, but like the realism of the characters and what happens to them uh, is really in play here. Like the the parents, they're they're going through a rough time, so they're going to go to counseling and try to get through this together. Uh, that kind of stuff is very real instead of just being like, oh, they're headed for a horrible divorce. Yeah, you know, without any sign that they're trying to work on it or something like that. So all of those things. He's drinking. For me. She's having an affair. Yeah. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to ask you, because you, you, you started to get into it with the like the hidden cat diary and stuff, and you were telling me about some of the kind of interesting challenge runs uh, for this game. So uh, can you explain those for the listeners if they're not aware of some of these challenges you can do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they're tied to, to some of the achievements. Like there's an achievement for beating the game in less than one minute. Um, and the way that works is the the secret panel that you open to get the key to the attic 
you can mm -hmm. open those secret panels before you find the notes that mark them on your map. Right. So you can run into the house, run to the secret panel right next to the stairs, uh, open it, grab the key, run up to the attic, go in, and hear the last journal. Boom, you're done. Um, it took me like three or four tries to get it down because you have to you have to open the cabinet outside, move the rubber duck or whatever it is, grab the key, get in the house, open the panel. If you're standing too close to the panel, it'll hit you and stop, and you have to close it and reopen it. Mm. And don't strafe. Never strafe, because when you strafe, you move slower than when you run straight and just turn. So you have to be <laughs> careful about that. And you basically... Gone home speedrunning strategies. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny. Um, you can get caught on the stairs because the uh, the banisters curve outwards. And so as you're coming out of the secret room, if you run straight, you'll hit the banister and have to stop and go around it. So you have to like curve around to go up the stairs, like just little things, not that hard to do, kind of fun. Um, there's another achievement for getting all 24 journal entries and beating the game in less than 10 minutes. And I haven't watched a video on how that works out. I didn't even get all 24 journal entries, apparently, because I don't have that achievement unlocked. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> that means I missed some, because um, there's achievement just for getting all the journal entries. Like, hey, you found everything. Right. I don't know if I did that the first time, because the achievements didn't exist yet the first time I played it, because it said I didn't have the achievement for beating the game. So I was like, oh, well, then these weren't there when I originally played it. And I know I spent more time exploring and reading stuff the first time I played. So I don't I don't know if I got it all then. I know I didn't this time. Um, but then there's those two kind of challenge achievements. The rest are pretty normal. There's only right. like a handful of achievements. It's only like five or ten. I don't remember how many. Um, but yeah, there's those two challenge ones. Less than a minute or less than ten minutes and getting all the entries. Right. Less than a minute one is pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. It, it, of all games to uh to figure out how to speed run, this one is a this one's an odd one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, those are I mean, it's interesting and it's interesting that the developers you know, they're the ones who set the achievements. They're they're the ones who figured out or like hey, said like hey, let's put a challenge, let's put an achievement in here to beat the game in less than 1 minute. This game that for the average player is all about careful exploration and slowly taking in all the details and stuff like that. It's uh, it's kind of interesting. So I just wanted to uh, ask you to explain those. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. um, so anything else about the game? I have some other final thoughts uh, now, like another summary that includes spoilers. But before we get into that, any uh, anything else that we missed? about um, the story or anything like that? I mean, there's a couple little things we didn't mention. They talk about a uh, a boy from back where they used to live and grow up that was a friend of Sam's. That's right. Family friend or neighborhood friend. Yeah, just, I mean, because that's what it is when you're a kid, especially, you know, back in the day. It was your friends were the ones that lived close by, period. That's who uh -huh. they were. They weren't friends you picked. They were your neighbors. Right. And so she talks about how her parents want her to hang out with him and, you know, that's one of those hints of, like, hang out with boys, get a boyfriend, you know. Mm-hmm. And she thinks he's weird and stuff, and you get the feeling like, oh, man, is, like, he being creepy and trying to hit on her? 
And then you find out he was just, you know, awkward and find out that she actually talks to him about her and Lonnie and he's super cool and supportive and actually is a good friend. He was just socially awkward and it came across in a creepy way for a little bit there and, you know, kind of put Sam off. And then she's like, oh, never mind. He's like, he's a, he's a good friend. Yeah. And he was really supportive of her. Exactly. Um, so that's a nice thing too. Um, there's a couple other characters people interact with. There's letters between the mom and her sister, I think that you can find around. Yeah. And, and she's the... like, Ooh, tell me about this guy you're working with. You know, let me hear more about him. Mm-hmm. And the, the sister is really jealous of the, uh, the house they're living in. Uh, she's like, Oh yeah, you, you won the lottery. Lucky you like that. Mm-hmm. And then, um, there's the correspondence between the dad and his boss, but then also between the dad and his friend who got him the job um, writing electronics reviews when his his books weren't going good. Right. So there's at least like a couple people that each of the characters interact with besides the family interactions. And they just they add that extra layer that makes the characters more believable. It's worth digging around and reading all that stuff. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you're right. And we, we mentioned that before the spoiler wall that the characters are interacting with people outside the family. This isn't, you know, this isn't a sitcom or something like that where it's just the family. And mm-hmm. those little interactions, you get like one letter from uh, the guy recommending the like electronics review job. He's just like, hey, man, like you're a writer. Just put on a record pour a glass of scotch, listen to the record, write about how it sounds. Easy work. And um, that letter, it doesn't take a whole lot of effort to like put that in. And that character is not important for the story, but you do, it, it is good. You're right. To get like a little connection outside of this house that you're in. Exactly. It, it adds that connective tissue to just make it that much more believable. And this is how people got where they are. Like, you know, why is an author writing electronics reviews? Well, there you go. Yeah, exactly. So, cool. You have any other final thoughts about the story now that we're, like, spoilery? Kind of in summary? I think it's similar to some of the stuff you'll be you'll be saying about, like, uh, the, the hints at the supernatural work really well, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it could have easily been a... Uh, like a haunted house horror game. It's all there. All of the material needed is there for it to have gone that direction. And then it doesn't. And it's just a really sweet feel good story. Um, But because of the tension that that adds, it makes the feel good even better because you have those two um, opposing feelings that, you know, that, that gets in there. It makes the feel good feel even better. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's a good point the like the fact that you have been on on like the edge basically for most of the story waiting for that ghost to finally show up or waiting to find you know a dead body or something like that and to have the story end on a nice happy ending you're right you you've been your emotions have been down in the gutter at some point in this story and so when you get that happy ending it is kind of a relief and a good feeling so yeah, and yeah, like you said, for me too, those uh, those little, those red herrings, they're they're excellent. And 
like we've mentioned lots of times, this isn't a long game. It's just a couple hours or even less if you're, um, you know, if I, if I replay this game, I don't think it's going to take me two hours to play through, even if I do listen to the audio logs again. So mm-hmm. those little side plots just give you something to chew on for 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and then you continue with that human story. And that, that human story is really, really well done. And it has like, it has a lot of heart. You can, you can see that there are like real people behind this story, real people that have had similar experiences probably uh, behind this story, especially the, the teenage love story. And I believe Fulbright also did, let me check this. I believe Fulbright also did the game uh, Tacoma. Um, I think that was one yeah. of the other ones they yeah. did. Um, I, I yeah, they did that one. They did the game Tacoma, and Tacoma also uh, deals with um, like uh, LGBT relationships uh, really, really well in a very, very uh, real way, uh, not caricatured or anything like that so this this company has like a a pedigree of telling these stories in a way that's very very good i think uh again need to play tacoma then yeah and tacoma is even shorter than gone home it's like a an hour and a half i think i have it somewhere from like a free free game at some point yeah it's also walking sim ish with a uh a very strong one strong mechanic uh, in there that takes it beyond what Gone Home is. Um, yeah, Tacoma is a good game. Uh, I definitely recommend that if you like the storytelling in here and kind of the way the characters uh, treat each other and like the interactions between them and how real it feels. Tacoma also gets that, I think. Okay, cool. Oh, and they're based out of Portland, Oregon. That's right in yeah. my neck of the woods. I'm like hour and a half from there's where... <laughs> well, there you go. So... And like, and Gone Home is set in Oregon too, right? Yeah, it is. I, yeah. I love this area. So yeah, that's one, another one of the reasons I liked it. I was like, oh yeah, I, I've been in houses like this. Yeah, exactly. And they're working on place. another game right now called Open Roads. Cool. Uh, I'm, I have uh, high hopes for that because I, after playing Gone Home and after playing Tacoma, I definitely trust um, the way that they tell stories. For sure. So let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Jake, thanks for joining me again. It's great to have you. And next time we will uh, talk about something that's not a walking sim, I guess. I think. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe I'll go play Tacoma and then we'll talk about that. <laughs> that's that's true. I would love to talk about Tacoma. I really love that game. So if you do play it, uh, we can continue your typecasting as the walking sim dude. And then hopefully Open Roads comes out and we'll do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, and there you go. for some reason, that will be who I become, even though that is not the type of game that I normally play. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You you're gonna get like Michael Sarah or something, and people yeah. will only think of you as the, the walking sim guy. I do more than that. <laughs> yeah, I promise. I'm playing Baldur's Gate. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, anyway, thanks, man. Uh, thanks for joining me again. It's good conversation as always. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, it's been real fun doing these these couple shows. Cool, cool, cool. Glad you enjoyed it. And for everyone listening. Thank you for sticking it out to the end. If you want to support the show, once again, the best thing you can do is to leave ratings and reviews and subscribe and tell people about it. That was, that's very helpful. And 
also on social media at Tales from the Backlog. That's on Instagram and uh, Twitter and probably Facebook too. I haven't set that up yet. But Tales from the Backlog, if you want to talk about Gone Home, if you want to talk about other games, uh, if you want to suggest a game to cover on the podcast, or if you want to be a guest on a future show, let me know on those uh, social media accounts. I will put links to those uh, pages in the episode description. So once again, my name's been Dave Jackson. Jake, thanks for joining. Thanks for having me. And we'll see you next time.